Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our semifinal predictions in the NBA playoffs. And we're going to start with the Eastern Conference matchup between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Miami Heat. So, Jalen, we've already seen the Miami Heat go up one nothing in this series. Do you think they can make it two in a row? Ryan, I don't only think they can make it two in a row. I'm booking game two right now, bro. Look, Jimmy Butler getting 40, Goran Dragic getting 27. I don't think that's a nightly basis thing for both of those guys throughout the entirety of this series. But another thing that's not the entirety of this series is Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero combining for only 15 points on the night. It's just not going to happen. This is not going to happen on a consistent basis throughout this series. And both of those guys have already shown in round one that they can come, they can step up as primary scoring options when things are getting kind of slow. Duncan Robinson got hot in, uh, I believe it was game, uh, game three of uh, last season. I mean, last, uh, last round and just kind of went crazy. And with that being the case, I really think that, Milwaukee's in trouble. Like, they don't know who their next guy is behind Giannis. And, yeah, Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez both had great games, 28 points, 24 points between the two of them. But they did it in a losing effort. Like, I haven't seen Chris Middleton play well in these playoffs in a winning winning effort at all. I haven't really seen him play in a winning effort, play well in a winning effort since coming back to the bubble. So, like, with that all being taken into consideration, I really think that the Heat have their number. And to quote Stephen A. Smith, I have a funny feeling that the Heat are going to take out the Milwaukee Bucks in this series. I have to disagree. I think that the Bucks are going to win this series in seven. I think this is going to be a series based on depth. Jimmy Butler is coming to this bubble with the mentality of a business trip. I think he's really stepping up to the plate big time for the Miami Heat with that 40 poor, with that forty point performance in game one. Goran Dragic is a guy who's quietly playing up 20 points and can not only really be a threat starting, but a threat coming off the bench as well. Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson guys are guys who are high volume shooters, but they're guys who can put up 25 points and make five or six threes a game and be a great shooter from the field or have 10 points and only make one three-pointer and shoot poorly from the field. I think that's really what's going to determine how well Miami does shooting-wise because Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson are my X-factors in this series, and I feel like whatever type of performance that these two guys have will really affect how Miami performs in this series. I think the Milwaukee Bucks, though, they have a loaded roster with the pieces that are needed to make Giannis the best player on the floor. And Giannis is really having these MVP-level games where you don't know if he's going to put up 30-10 and 10 or 20-20. and 20. I think the supporting cast is very interesting, too, for the Milwaukee Bucks because we know the Bucks have depth, but there's a lot of contribution in these games that they've played from practically every member of this team. I mean, 
Chris Middleton has been putting up great performances in losing efforts, and then Brooke Lopez puts up 20 quietly. I feel like, you know, it, it's going to be tough to see what happens with uh, what Milwaukee does in this series, especially considering that this is the second series in a row where they've lost game one. But I think Miami does have their number, but my my gut is saying to go with Milwaukee in seven. I mean, it's not a bad pick regardless. I mean, I feel like doubting Milwaukee after game one is dangerous. And um, although I have the heat in game two, I would not be shocked if Milwaukee came back and punched back in game two to even things up. I think the big question for the Milwaukee Bucks is going to be really when can they get the two halves to mesh? It can't be Giannis having an exponentially great game and exponentially a significant impact on the game, but the supporting cast doesn't show up. And it can't be the supporting cast is going crazy, but Giannis Antetokounmpo only has 18 points. So when they figure out where that medium is, that's when they'll take out the Miami Heat. If they can't do that, this Miami Heat team that, like you said, is treating things as a business trip, are not going to let the Bucks off the hook, and they are not the Magic. I know they're in Florida together as teams in terms of where they where they rep, but in terms of the mentality, these are two totally different teams, and the Heat will jump on Milwaukee fast if they don't get things together quickly. Transitioning to a series that might already be over before it actually began, or before it actually began, the Toronto Raptors and the Boston Celtics, the past two games have not been looking good for the Toronto Raptors. Boston had a great win, a blowout win of sorts in game one. And then Boston, who was down to begin the fourth quarter, comes back and Marcus Smart goes off for 16 straight points and five threes. And then we saw some flashes of cardiac Kemba for when he was in Madison Square Garden. Jalen, I might be on the bandwagon for the Boston Celtics, and I just need to get your thoughts on how you feel about the Boston Celtics right now. Hey, man, come hop on the Boston Celtic bus because I'm trying to tell you right now that the Raptors are making this Celtics to the finals pick look sweeter and sweeter by the dribble. Ryan, I have simple analysis for you that will break down this entire game into whether or not the Raptors get themselves together. In game one, Pascal Siakam, Kyle Lowry combined for 30 points on the night. In game two, they only combined for 33 points on the night. So when your superstars do not step up in these moments, right, we're talk- remember, remember, I said a combined 30 and 33 points in two games. If your if superstars are not playing to their full potential, then you don't have a chance. You simply don't. In game two, OG Ananubi was their leading scorer with 20 points. I'm sorry, but OG OG's a defensive wing that gets a ton of steals and does his thing on that end of the court. If he's your leading scorer, you probably are not going to win. Let's put something else in perspective. Fred Van Vliet woke up a little bit in game two, went from 11 points to 19 points. But I still kind of feel like 
the two top dogs being Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry, their lack of contribution at the superstar level that we know they can reach, that's going to be the difference in this series. Jason Tatum is no joke. Jalen Brown is no joke. <laughs> Cardiac Kemba is no joke. And Jesus Christ, Marcus Smart is a dude who is starting to scare us now because he's getting weird comparisons to Steph Curry after the uh, game two where he hit five threes. And honestly, we already know where he stands on the defensive end as one of the top defensive guards in the league. So this is a team in the Raptors who are used to getting a full team effort, but their two top dogs are not carrying the load the way they're supposed to. And I think that's going to be their demise in this series. Yeah, I mentioned Marcus Smart went off for 16 straight points and had five threes, in which a couple of them were open threes, which, <laughs> which, which means he entered the fourth quarter with three points. You know what? I, I thought Toronto was going to put up some, some sort of a fight in this series. And, yes, I, I know they had the lead in the fourth quarter. If it wasn't for Marcus Smart and then Cardiac Kemba playing in the dagger. But, man, oh, man, I'm not 100% sure – where Toronto is at right now. They surely are missing Kawhi Leonard right now, I feel like. So I do kind of feel like the Raptors have a chance to win win this series. But I think it's a, a similar to the Bucks Heat series where I feel like they can win seven games. Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry are great players, but I'm not seeing that right now. You mentioned that in game one, they both had 30 points. And in game two, they had 33 points combined. I mean, luckily for Toronto, uh, Van Vliet is stand, or is uh, becoming a great player for them. He's really stepping up to the plate, being a great shooter from the mid-range and the perimeter. My biggest concern is that this team kind of feels like the old Raptors, where they can't even make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. And they're really struggling to defend Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker. And now you add Marcus Smart to the mix, I feel like there's just too many offensive weapons right now that the Boston Celtics have that the Raptors can't stop. I mean, right now, judging from the first two games, it's not looking good for the Toronto Raptors. Now, on the other hand, I believe the Celtics have the assets needed to make an Eastern Conference run. Brad Stevens should be up for Coach of the Year, underrated for what he's done in Boston so far. And then, of course, I mentioned that Kemba is going to be a factor in this series. I think his play will really determine how well the rest of the team plays. And I feel like, you know, if the Toronto Raptors don't perform up to the standards of a defending champion, I feel like the Celtics can have this series in four games. I mean, kind of like bounce off of that, when Marcus Smart is outplaying Kyle Lowry, and that's not even factoring in Kimba's contributions, you're probably in trouble. Simple as that. Coming into this series, I told you uh, entering the playoffs that I kind of feared Toronto a little bit. And if this day were to come, that I figured things would go the distance. But I'm not going to lie kind of getting a small sample size. It is a little bit of 2020 hindsight, but I honestly think they get a game, but they get taken out in five by Boston at this rate. Yeah, I'm starting to feel that way right now. And I think the way Boston's playing right now, they could really make a chance to go to the finals. And 
I will say that I was wrong about Boston earlier, and I will I'll give Jalen his credit. So going on to the Western Conference now, the Lakers will play either the Oklahoma City Thunder or the Houston Rockets. That game tips off at nine o'clock tonight. Jalen, I've said that the Rockets will win this series tonight in seven games. You believe the Thunder are going to win seven games. What will the Thunder have to do tonight to beat the Rockets? Dude, I think it's going to come down to two things. Shea Gilgis Alexander and Danilo Gallinari cannot keep having wishy-wash games where one one game they're both putting up between 15 and 20-plus points a night, and then the next game they both have four points on the night apiece. They're going to have to be big in this game for them to even be in it. Dennis Schroeder can play his tail off. Chris Paul can will them to a win like they did in game six. But this is game seven we're talking about, and this is one of those things where, you know, palms get sweaty, backsides get tight, and you're going to need people to produce at a high level. We just saw that in the Utah versus Denver series that that game was 80 to 78. Uh, Ryan, 2002 call, it wants its defense back because it just literally got all of it that other night. And I don't know if it was because of the defense. Maybe it was the, maybe it was the defense played. Maybe it was because everybody was still a little nerve-wracked by the fact that they are in game seven, you know, the, the game where legends are made, it said, unless you're Michael Jordan, who doesn't really go to those that often. So, like, we're going to see a lot from these young guys when it comes to what it is they can do on a big stage like that. But the second thing is Chris Paul. Chris Paul is a guy who is notoriously known for being in situations like these to clinch series, get big wins and things like that. And on certain occasions he rises to the challenge and he's part of a Clippers team that takes out San Antonio in the second round. And you're like, Oh my goodness. They are on the first round. And you're like, Oh my goodness, they're going places. And then you get the Chris Paul who gets into a game seven with Golden State and gets injured. And we have one of the biggest what ifs in NBA history. So how he comes out in game seven, performs in game seven, and hopefully stays on the court for game seven, I think will have a lot to do with whether or not the Thunder can actually clutch this off. I think on the flip side with the Rockets, I think they just need to close out these games. They could have had the Thunder beat in game three and game four. I think they let both those games slip away. Now, obviously I think with the, the return of Russell Westbrook, I think that will, so that will change things because I think with Russell Westbrook's impact on the floor, I think he's going to be destined to have a couple of great games to help will the Rockets pass the Oklahoma state thunder. I just think that, you know, small ball is the key to success right now for the Houston Rockets. I don't think there's going to be any doubt that Russell Westbrook and James Harden are going to have good games, but this game seven is going to determine really how well they play. They can't have a bad game tonight, especially considering that it's win or go home. I don't think really it's, it's up to just Russell Westbrook and James Harden. I think it's up to a guy like Eric Gordon or Jeff Green to really have a great night shooting wise I think Robert Covington's going to have to step up defensively. I think P.J. Tucker is also going to have to step up defensively and protect the paint. I feel like if Harden shoots the ball efficiently, the team does well. 
And I think if the team makes threes, they have a better shooting night overall. And I mean, kind of to jump off of that, I think that the big thing that needs to be understand by the, understood by the Rockets, obviously going into this game, is they have more to lose. They're the one that has a coach that needs to be re-signed. They're the one who has a GM who people have had questions about in terms of his little mad scientist uh, way of treating NBA rosters like it's 2K or something. They're the ones that have two 31-year-old superstars who are getting, you know, they're getting to a point where the window for a potential championship is starting to shrink more and more as the West continues to kind of grow young guns like Luka Doncic and Devin Booker showing us that both of those teams are on the rise. The trailblazers being undermanned this season and still being a threat down to the end. The window, the, the entire gap is closing. I mean, we didn't even have golden state this year, really. I mean, the window for a championship is slim as it is. And it's only going to get slimmer as things move along. I think that the fact that the Oklahoma City Thunder have nothing really to lose. This was a young team that we were expecting to blow it up with most of their veteran pieces. They have like, they got like six to eight draft picks in one offseason. They made it to the postseason with little to no expectation. And now really just being the, the king slayers and taking out Houston would just kind of look good on their resume. But it really doesn't change the trajectory of their future much. For Houston – this bubble season could really be their, their best shot. And I think as much as, although I picked the Thunder in this series, I think that when it comes down to this now, looking at the way this series has broken down, I think that Houston not only has to take it, but that they're going to take it. And I almost kind of want to see them against the Lakers in the next round as it is. So moving now to the final matchup in the Western Conference, it's the Los Angeles Clippers and the Denver Nuggets. Now, Denver just came off of a grueling seven-game series where they became the 12th team in NBA history to come back from a 3-1 deficit in the playoffs, the first since the 2016 Cleveland Cavaliers. The Denver Nuggets have really put the rocket, so to say, on Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray had a phenomenal series against the Utah Jazz. Jalen, I have to ask you, I know this is going to be a tough matchup for the Nuggets going against the Clippers, but what are you going to expect from the Denver Nuggets? So I was talking to a friend about this beforehand because we were still kind of wishy-washy before game seven of the Nuggets versus uh, the Jazz, and we just were like, it can go any, it can go either way. With the way Donovan Mitchell has been playing, the way Jamal Murray has been playing, it can go either way. And it came down to the last possession. And I have my questions about the last possession, to be honest. Donovan Mitchell got ripped. The ball was stolen. Should Jamal Murray have pulled the ball out and as a 90% free throw shooter and taken his, uh, taken his buckets at the line and went up by enough points to basically, no matter what Conley shot up, they would have still won? Yeah. I also didn't see Donovan Mitchell run back after getting ripped. After he got stole, after he got the ball stolen from him, he was not in the play until he was waving his hands in the air, calling for a ball he was not gonna get. With all that being said, this is an emotional, heavy hitting series between two Western Conference teams that we're gonna see down the line a lot moving forward. So with that being the case, 
my conclusion is that regardless of which team came out of that series, the Clippers are taking them out in five games. And the reason why is not because of talent. It's not because of the depth. And although I do feel like the Clippers outweigh the Nuggets in those categories, I think the main thing is the Clippers have been chilling. The Clippers have been chilling and they have so much to look forward to. Montrez Harrell doesn't have to go against two seven foot three, seven foot four guys and Bojan Marjanovic and uh, Christoph Porzingis. Lou Williams wasn't even really at his best because he was still coming back from Atlanta pretty much in this series. They didn't have Patrick Beverly for pretty much every game after game one. They have a lot to look forward to. I also don't expect Paul George to score 15 points or less in four out of six games moving forward. These are all things that they can look forward to and expect better things out of their team. The Denver Nuggets just showed their soul. (laughs) I mean, they pretty much gave us everything that they got. And I think because of that, just all that effort that it took, they have momentum going into the Clippers game. But I feel as though if the Clippers pounce on them the way we expect them to with the kind of rest they've had, they're not going to let the gas pedal up and that's going to get the Nuggets ran out quickly because they're out talented and their, their depth is significantly outmatched. And then you throw on top of the fact that the Clippers have been waiting back after taking out the Mavericks while the Nuggets are coming off of probably one of the most grueling series they've had in a little while. Well, I said this in the last episode, and I'll say it again. I think Jamal Murray is on his way to becoming a superstar, especially with the series that he's had with multiple 50-point games. I think Nikola Jokic really saved the Denver Nuggets from from elimination with that layup that he hit with under 30 seconds to go. I mean, also, Nikola Jokic had a great series for the Denver Nuggets, and I think he's going to be really one one of the great assets to this team going into the – into the series with the Clippers. I think Jokic is also the glue that really holds this team together, especially in the last three games where I felt he was able to shoot the ball well and was able to make some great plays for the Nuggets down the stretch. The Nuggets as a team, however, I don't think they really have a chance of beating the Clippers for two reasons, because one, they have one of the worst deficiency defensive efficiency ratings in the bubble and two, they're going up against one of the one of the most dangerous and one of the one of the best offensive teams in the NBA. When you have a bad defense, I don't think you're going to fare well against a team with one of the best offenses in the NBA. The Clippers have a loaded roster, uh, much like the Milwaukee Bucks. I think Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell will definitely be factors coming off the bench in this series. We can't forget about Kawhi Leonard because he's averaging 30 points a game in five straight playoff games. Bob McAdoo actually has more with a streak of nine straight playoff games. I think the only thing that could hold the Clippers from elimination is Paul George. He struggled shooting the ball in games two, three, and four in the last series against the Dallas Mavericks, but he was able to pick it up in the last two games. I think the Clippers have a much more talented team, but I think matchup-wise – I have to look at the point guard matchup between Jamal Murray and Patrick Beverly. I think with Jamal Murray, he's an absolute superstar. And I think him going up and putting up 50 points a game, I don't think it's going to happen with a defender like Patrick Beverly. 
I mean, I think the big thing in this series, like you said beforehand, is going to be the guard matchups. I think the fact that they have Gary Harris back for Denver is also going to be huge. Um, he had a, of course, he had the huge poke out um, steal at the end of the game, but I, and he's not necessarily. I wouldn't say he's known for defense. He's definitely a good defender, but I feel like they're pairing against uh, guys like Lou Williams, Landry Shamet. Those two guys in particular, maybe Reggie Jackson as well, from an offensive standpoint, that's going to really be the ticket. But like I said beforehand, I think the big thing, and you touched on it um, briefly, is I don't think that Paul George – Paul George, I feel like, is the needle. He's the one who moves the needle between this series being done quickly in four to five games or this being a knockout, dragout type of series – for them, similar to the Mavericks, but I think from a from the from a talent standpoint, the Nuggets are deep enough where they could possibly push it to seven games, as, um, just like they did in the first series um, against Utah, and make them sweat a little bit. So the way that Paul George performs really is the difference between being eliminated and making it to the next round and being in the Western Conference Finals. I really think it's that simple. PG got to step up. That's a good transition to our question of the day for our fans. Who really steps up? Who needs to step up more in this series with the LA Clippers and the Denver Nuggets? Jamal Murray or Paul George? This has been a great episode today of the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you rate our podcast on Apple, make sure you give us five stars. And of course, subscribe to us wherever you get, our, wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.